Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here, we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in His love. We are grateful to have you listening. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at nbkumc.com. Hello, everybody. Um, last week, we talked about how Jesus is the Good Shepherd. We're continuing on our sermon series through Lent. I have to say, um, before I share uh, God's Word, I w- I'm really sad that I have to give this message um, via via Zoom and via YouTube because this is like one of the most convicting sermons I've ever prepped for me personally. Um, and I really hope to be able to do this for you guys all in person, but it's okay. Like God is still with us. We don't need to be in this physical building, in this physical space for God to be with us. And we trust that God is, he unites us as one. And so, um, yeah, we'll just jump right into it. We're continuing through our sermon series um, in Lent, which we've been going through um, how Jesus describes himself in the Gospel of John. The sermon series is titled, I Am. And um, this sermon is titled, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Today's passage comes from John 11, verses 14 through 44. 14 through 44. If you guys can pull that up, whether it be via website or your Bible apps, or maybe you guys have a Bible in front of you. it still applies if you guys don't have a physical copy of a Bible, please let me know. Chandasai will get one for you. I will mail it to you. I'll figure out a way to get it to you via social distancing. Um, but I'll be reading from the ESV. So if there, are, if you guys are reading from NIV, that's completely fine. It might be easier to read. Um, John 11, 14 through 44. Obviously we're not standing for the reading of God's word um, right now, but um, in our hearts, we believe that God's holy and perfect word deserves all reverence. And so please refrain from drinking or eating or um, doing anything else while we read God's word. So God's word comes from chapter 11, verses 14 through 44. This is the word of the Lord. Then Jesus told them, as in the disciples, plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake... I was glad. I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, She went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. 
And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them still said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's open up in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for your holy and perfect word. We thank you, God, that you give us your word freely and readily. We thank you, God, that you are a God that is of the resurrection, that you are a God that rose from the grave, that you are a God that has defeated sin and death. Lord, in the midst of uncertainty and in the midst of trial and tribulation, we look to you and we ask that you would be with us as we hear your word. Father God, we pray that you would give to each and every person as they need, be that conviction or commitment or comfort, whatever it is, God. For we believe that you changed lives even in the rooms. So be with us, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So today's passage, or today's sermon, for those of you guys who are taking notes, I'm just gonna give you guys the main idea, as I always do. The main idea is real faith before the resurrection unlocks the glory of God. One more time, I'm gonna say that one more time. Real faith before the resurrection unlocks the glory of God. Today we're talking about the account of when Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave. But I wanna challenge you with this main idea before we go into anything. Real faith before the resurrection unlocks the glory of God. So let's talk a little bit about the context of this passage. The context that we're talking about here is the death of Lazarus. Now this time is right before Passion Week. It's around the time that we're in right now, like a couple weeks to a week before Good Sunday, Good Friday. And Jesus has learned, not by anybody telling him, but has, because he knows all things, he's realized that Lazarus is dead before Jesus has made it to him. Previously, Martha and Mary and Lazarus had all sent him a letter saying, please come quickly. Lazarus is about to die, but Jesus had things to deal with and tend to. He was healing, if you look at the passages before. And Jesus receives the message of Lazarus's death while not being at Bethany. Now, a couple of things about this time period and where Jesus is. Jesus is likely by the Jordan when he realizes that Lazarus is dead. But Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, the context of these three siblings is that Martha is most likely the oldest, Mary is most likely the middle child, and Lazarus is most likely the youngest son of this family that Jesus considers and loves as his own. It is expressed multiple times in the Gospel of John that Jesus loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' family. The only other time Jesus loves anybody that much in the Gospel of John is when he loves John. And so it's clear that this family means a lot to Jesus. But they were located in a place called Judea. Now, if you know anything about Israel's geography, I don't know if you want to pull up a map on your own. 
Jerusalem is right by, actually, it's probably really different right now. Um, territories are changing rapidly, but Jerusalem was right by Judea. And Judea is modern-day Palestinian territory in Israel. It's close enough to Jerusalem that there are a lot of Jews there, but far enough for it not to be considered Jerusalem. Kind of like the difference between Andover and Boston. It's like far enough to not be Boston, but it's close enough that if you live in Andover, you might be considered a Bostonian. Similarly to that, Judea is kind of like the burbs of the holy city. And the hostilities that the, Jerusal the leaders of Jerusalem had with Jesus is already mounting at, at an all-time high. This pressure cooker of killing Jesus is like at almost spilling over, it's like peaking. Up till this point, for the past like five chapters or so, wherever Jesus goes, he either almost gets captured, stoned, or killed. Everywhere he goes, be it a synagogue, Hanukkah, the festival of lights, when we were talking about being the good shepherd, every single feast he goes to, he almost gets killed. But he did that all along the Jordan River, a little bit of ways off from Jerusalem. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they were located in Bethany, which is in Judea. It's very close to Jerusalem. And most likely, Jesus going to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus probably meant that he was putting himself and his disciples in danger. So the disciples were afraid for their lives. The tension is palpable and the disciples are just at risk. That's why Thomas says in verse 16, he says, let us go so we may die with him. That's because the disciples were also terrified to go. So right off the bat, very high tension. Jesus is like literally about to get killed at any moment. The disciples are worried, Jesus is worried, but Lazarus is about to die. Jesus is continuing to do his ministry and then he hears word that Lazarus has passed away. And he puts everybody in danger, jeopardizes everybody. He's like, let's go to Judea. And the disciples, with acknowledgement of the risk of dying, risk their lives and follow him there. Now, when Jesus gets to Lazarus, it is the fourth day since Lazarus has died. There's a big significance to the fact that it's the fourth day. In Jewish custom, they believe that when a person dies, the soul floats around the body seeking to enter back in for three days. But after three days, when the body really starts to decompose, the soul departs. Now, what happens when we go to a funeral? They were already in full-on funeral mode, but what happens in America when you're at a funeral? When somebody passes away, they pronounce death, the family goes right into funeral preparations, maybe like three, two, three days. Three days is a bit long, maybe two days along if they're not cremated, if the body is not cremated in the morgue. Maybe two days along, there'll be a viewing. The next day there will be burial and it's short. In about three days, the body is buried. In the context of Israel, funerals lasted seven days. It was called Sheba. Funerals lasted, sorry, funerals lasted seven days. Um, and it was a very extensive funeral that Judeans, Palestinian Jews, still partook in. And this was not like seven days of like doing procession and ritual. It's seven days of full-on mourning, where the loved ones of the family all gather to where the family is it and just wail for seven days. In a lot of ways, this old antiquated ritual is probably more fitting for the human, human understanding of grief, and it's probably more, more appropriate for something as hurtful as losing somebody than today's funeral. But that's... That's what used to happen, and, and right on the fourth day, it's past the point of return. Decomposition has set in, the soul is not coming back, and it's final. On the fourth day, that's when Jesus gets there. He says he is asleep. He is asleep. 
That's the wording that Jesus uses. He is asleep. And it's this... Whenever Jesus says this about somebody who's dead, we often think, oh, it's because Jesus is gonna raise them from the dead, partially. But it's actually a point of irony. See, sleep was seen to be something that was really important to Israel as for, he for its healing properties. So to call a dead person asleep is actually really ironic because it's almost as though Jesus is saying they're healing when they're actually gone for good. And he gets there on the fourth day and Martha meets him before he even gets into the town because she hears word that Jesus is coming. The first thing she says to him is, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. That sounds like a moment of faith. Martha is this point, and I've also like maybe almost misused it to, in, in the context that Martha had like astounding faith that she believed that Jesus would raise Lazarus from the dead. But if you really look at the original language of what she's saying here and you paraphrase what Martha's actually getting at, what she's actually saying is, if you had been here, Jesus, Lazarus would not have died. Nevertheless, I still believe in you that God works through you mightily. And it is great faith. But there's still a ways that Martha needs to go. In verse 23, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. This is really interesting. When Martha says this, what's revealed is the limitations of her faith. She basically, what she's basically saying here is, is when Jesus says, your brother will anastasis rise again from the dead. It's a very real word. It's used anywhere between arising from your chair and being raised from the dead, the idea of rising again, right? But Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And you see here that Martha misunderstands what Jesus is saying. Jesus looks at her and basically blows his cover and tells Martha about the miracle he's about to do. But Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. What is that? Why do you think Martha is saying that? Martha's faith was in Jesus as who he was, and her faith was as strong as Peter's about who Jesus is. But she could not apply her faith into her present situation. She believes that Jesus is the Son of God. She believes that anything Jesus asks for, God will do. But she doesn't dare believe that Jesus would ask for Lazarus to be raised again. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. She says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day, on judgment day. She believes with faith as a Christian. She believes truly that her brother will have eternal life. But she does not believe, she does not dare believe that the resurrection on the last day, that God who saves lives, who reverses sin and death, would be able to bring resurrection into her situation. What I almost hear is, Lord, I believe in you, but I don't believe that you love me enough to do that. Or what I even hear is, Lord, I believe in you, but I don't think, like, why would you do that? Why would you do that for me now? We might think that it almost sounds like Martha is succumbing or submitting her will under God's will because obviously Martha misses her brother. We might be thinking that Martha is doing something noble here. And maybe verbally it might sound that way. Jesus, I submit to your will. 
I trust in everything that you're doing, even if I don't understand. And that is truly a, a good posture of the Christian faith. But I think that what Jesus is getting at here is that Martha was hiding her disbelief behind good words. You know what we you know when we pray for things, but then we always add like, I don't know. For example, like we're praying for health or we're praying for safety or we're praying for something that we like we're like really wrestling out with God but then at the very end we're like but God even if you don't give it, give it to me I still believe in you just in case you don't answer my prayer I still believe in you even if you don't answer my prayer right now it's okay it's okay I know you're still God Or when we believe in every single word that is given in the Bible. But we don't believe that he will apply his promises to us right now. When we believe, oh yes, Jesus, you've given me eternal life. Oh yes, Jesus, in you I have everything I need. But we still seek satisfaction in the things of this world. And we still try on our own to make it through life. And we still try on our own to make it through our job. And try on our own to please our parents. And try on our own to be successful. As though Christ's provision and providence doesn't apply into the present. But yeah, in the long run. And we see here that in the midst of Martha's faith, there's a lack of practical application into her reality. And almost, dare I say it, a note of fear or dread, dread maybe, that like curdles into becoming and solidifies into this maybe shadow of disbelief that Jesus would be there for her. It's likely that because Jesus didn't come until the fourth day, not even the second or third day, but the fourth day after there's no more hope, that Martha maybe believes that Jesus left her alone when she was hurting, wasn't there for her. Maybe she's disappointed in Christ. Who knows? We all know that she was in deep, dark grief. She didn't even ask for healing. That's also notable to mention. But when Lazarus was still alive, they were all sending messages to Jesus. Jesus, you need to come. You need to come. Lazarus is about to die. But when Jesus is in front of her, she doesn't even ask. A woman who asked so freely for Jesus' attention and time and energy and travel does not ask at this point. Because she did not think, maybe because she didn't, she didn't think that he would do it. She thought of Jesus as a healer, but maybe she did not take into consideration that Christ's authority is not just over sickness, but over death. Maybe because death is so powerful. Health is so powerful. It's an equalizer. All around this world, we see our economy going to absolutely nothing, the life as we know it, basically stopping, all of us being stuck in our homes, our norm completely shifted, all because lives are being lost. That's the power of death. It shuts everything down and equalizes every person. And yet, in the, in, in the face of that kind of faith that Martha shows, which, is, which some might say is nothing at all, or some might say it's great faith, the theologians believe that she was as faithful as Peter. That's very strong. To her, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. When Martha says, I know he will rise again in the, resur in the resurrection on the last day, Jesus replies to her directly, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He corrects her with who he is before she has seen any resurrection. At this point, Jesus has not performed the resurrection. He has not been resurrected. He's healed people, but that's it. Although he did have that other, that other resurrecting 
miracle. But I think Lazarus is, is by far the craziest because it's the fourth day of the funeral. But he asks her, before, he, before she's seen it, he asks her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He offers her this invitation. Do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, there are multiple... Not to give you guys like a very short Greek lesson, um, but in Greek there are multiple tenses. There's a present tense that something's happening right now. There's a past tense that something has happened in the past. There's a future tense that something will happen in the future. And there's something called a perfective tense. There's aorist and there's perfective tense. And perfective tense is a mix of present and future if you can think about it, have you guys, do you guys know vectors and rays? Is that geometry? What is that? Is that trigonometry, geometry? Geometry, it's geometry. Um, and if past, present, and future are like lines, you know, with like two points, two fixed points, perfective tense is a ray. It starts at a fixed point and it goes on forever. For example, when Jesus says, it is finished, it's tetelestai. He's saying it is done, and the effects of this action continue even into the present. Martha's I believe, pistuo, here is actually in the perfective. She's saying I believe, and I believe into the future. I believe forever, not just now, not just before, but forever, I believe. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and calling for you. Did she know the power of her own faith? Maybe not. Maybe not. One thing is for sure, though, she doesn't dare even try to believe that Jesus would resurrect Lazarus at this point. She leaves it completely up to God. She does not ask for resurrection. But she says, I believe, when Jesus confronts her with who he says he is. What are the effects of this? Now we skip ahead. I'm not zeroing in on what Mary's reaction was. Mary's reaction is seen to be um, an echo of her sisters. Basically, Mary runs, she rises quickly from a chair. She runs to meet where Jesus is in front of the town, outside of the town. The people all follow her because they think she's going to the tomb. She wails. Here, it says here, that she fell to his feet saying to him and, and that she was weeping. In the, in the English language, when you think of weeping, you think, <laughs> right, like small tears. But here we, we understand that if you look at the original language, it's not, it's not just a couple of tears, like it's not just some K-drama tears. This is like, Mary is roaring. She is wailing, roaring in her cries at the feet of Jesus in pain. And It says here that Jesus was deeply moved when he saw her weeping. When you think of deeply moved, you might think, oh, like, so poignant, right? But in this understanding of deeply moved, what that means is Jesus got pissed. He got pissed. 
That's what deeply moved means. When it says that Jesus was deeply moved, it means that Jesus got angry. He was angry. What was he angry at? Was he angry at Mary for crying? Was he angry that he was seeing his loved one cry? He was angry at death and the devastation it brings his people. It says here that Jesus was deeply moved. It's almost like enraged. That even though the resurrection and the life is in front of them, death clouds their thinking to the point where all they can do is cry. And it says that Jesus wept. This wept is actually a, um, it's a bursting of crying. It's not that Jesus also shed some K-drama tears out, out of like the side of his face full of makeup on this side. It's, it's, it's like Jesus burst into tears. The people, they misinterpret Jesus' tears to say, see how he loved them, thinking that Jesus was weeping for Lazarus in his pain. But Jesus was actually weeping in anger at the catastrophic effect that death had on his kingdom and his people. What we see here in this burst of emotion is not only that Jesus really loves this family and the people that he calls his own, but the thing that angers him most of all is the power that death has over creation. We see here that the ultimate opponent for Christ is death. Jesus confronts his opponent at the tomb. He goes up to the, he's like, he goes up to the tomb and he's deeply mad again. Take away the stone. Martha goes, Lord, it's gonna smell bad. The man has been in that tomb for four days. Decomposition has already set in rigor mortem. It's past rigor mortem at this point. The body tissue is already breaking down days. And this is Israel. We ain't talking about a natural New England 35 degree cold. We're talking desert. We're talking it's in a cave with a stone. I mean, thankfully because of the cave, it ain't gonna be that hot, but it ain't gonna be that cold either. Right? And Martha says, it's gonna smell bad, God. He's rotting in there. Don't open it. In here, we see in Martha's action the reality of her faith. Her grief has already turned sour and has no return. It's gross, it's nasty, and Jesus wants to see it, but Martha doesn't want him to see it because there's no going back at this point. There's no going back. She's like, don't look at it. It's already rotting, it's nasty, don't look at it. It's beyond the point of saving. It's a side question that I want us to think about, but do we think that Jesus is too good for our sin and our brokenness sometimes. Maybe there's something in us that's just too nasty. It's just far past the point of return. No, Jesus, don't go there. You're too good, you're too holy. But we see the reality of Martha's faith there. She does not want him to touch the rotting man. The thing that hurts most in her heart. She won't even dare believe What does Jesus say to her at this? Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? We see here that Mary 
Mary and Martha really didn't understand the significance of the perfective of Pistuo. She had used not just the present, not just the future, but the perfective to explain her faith. But even she herself did not understand what that would unlock. She goes, no, Jesus. No, Jesus. It's like, you know, when we say, God, we're going to believe in you. All of us have gone or maybe want to go to a rise like God. Like we have our altar call moment. Jesus, I give my life to you. This is my yes to you. Yes, and more of you. Oh, means less of me. Take everything. And we're like, yes, Jesus, take my everything. But a lot of us, when we say these things, we don't really understand what that means. We don't understand the reality and the gravity of our yes. And it's clear here that Martha does not understand. She's like, no, Jesus, you can't go there. That's, that's beyond the point. That's already rotting. That's already done. It's dead. There's no hope. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you would always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe you sent me. Jesus doesn't actually pray, Lord, please raise Lazarus from the dead. We see here that Jesus has already prayed that prayer. He thanks God that God has heard him. And that brings us back to the point where Lazarus, like Mary and Martha were begging Jesus to come in time for Lazarus. They were urgent. They were like, Lord, you have to come now. You have to come now. Lazarus is going to die any minute now. And they don't come. Jesus only comes until it's too late. But Jesus, he works in his own time. One thing that we might see here is that our understanding, what we think and feel is urgent, is not necessarily the timing by which God works. We're like, no, God, no, God, you need to come here. You need to come and deal with this. Before it's too late, you need to come and handle this situation for me. And then he doesn't show up. We get discouraged. We get disappointed. We're like, God, where were you when I needed you? How could you fail me? But what we see here is that what is urgent is not the timing by which God works. This is not a last minute thing for Jesus. This is the allotted time. And then he says, with raw authority, he does not even address his opponent death. He does not even waggle his finger at Satan. He doesn't get mad at everybody around him for grieving instead of showing relief that Jesus is there. He doesn't do any of those things. He doesn't do any, any of those things. He says, Lazarus, come out. And like, he comes out, but like, he's so wrapped up and the thing about the back in the time, they actually wrapped up your jaw and they wrapped up your eyes. So like your whole head was like so wrapped in linen. Honestly, it was probably really scary. Like if I was there, I probably would have dropped dead because it's like the mummy, but like real life and he's not dead anymore, which I don't even know what to, what do you do with that? I don't really know. I, yeah, you know, it's kind of, it's like, what do you do? And that's how the story ends. There's no illustration that can be given for this moment because only Jesus can raise from the dead. But some of you guys might have some questions and I wanna address those questions. The first question, Jango, but why, but why does God allow for this to happen to begin with? 
I want to make something clear here. Tragedy is not God's design for the world. It's still under his control, but it's not his design. Blaming God for tragedy is counterintuitive to the creator. Tragedy is a direct effect of rebellion against God. Tragedy is birthed from rebelling against God. Tragedy is not by God's design. It is under his control, but it's not by his design. The second question is, I know what you're getting at, Jane, though, but, and I, and I've, but I've prayed and I've prayed for things and they haven't been answered. Even though I believed, even though I had my pepistua moment, I've been praying and Jesus hasn't answered me. He's too late. I want to make a distinction here. Martha didn't even dare pray this prayer. This is not Jesus answering Martha's request. And the purpose that Jesus has in resurrecting Lazarus is not fulfilling Martha's and Mary's desires. But it's to reveal the glory of God. Sometimes God allows for things to happen. But he reworks all things for the glory of God. And even death is not the end of his story. I'm gonna repeat that one more time. Sometimes God allows for things to happen, but he reworks all things for the glory of God. And even death is not the end of his story. And this is not Jesus just answering Martha's prayer, this is Jesus displaying his glory over death. Others of you might be asking, but Jane, how come Jesus didn't resurrect the person that I love? And I relate to you. Between the time that um, I received my friend's suicide note and the time that his body washed up on shore was one month. One month his body was missing. Um, we couldn't confirm whether he was alive or dead for one month. Just knew that he wasn't using his phone, he wasn't using his card, um, and that he had sent a suicide note to all of us and was nowhere to be seen. The detectives were looking for him, but they couldn't find him. And every day I, I dreamt that we found Jeff alive and well for one month between April 10th and May 16th. Praying, hoping that we would be able to see again, see him again, beat the crap out of him for trying to do something like that to himself and doing a better job at being there for him next time. For a long time, I wondered why Jesus would let something like this happen why there are suffering, there is suffering in the world, why bad things happen to good people to the point where they make really extreme decisions like ending their life, why good people get sick. I have to tell you that I don't have, I don't think that it's adequate to have any theological words or statements to try and explain loss. But to you who might truly believe that there are some things that Jesus cannot do, some things that Jesus might never be able to explain, some things that in your life, some deeply rooted sins or pains, traumas, family hurts, that's just too nasty for Jesus. No, Jesus, you can't go there. To you, I wanna tell you, that even death is not the end of his story. Jesus doesn't care. I have to credit this to, to John Miller. Um, John was telling me a conviction he had about this passage and he was saying like, 
We don't like when Jesus gets to the most disgusting parts of us, the most odorous parts of us, and we're like, Jesus, it smells bad. Trying to be hospitable, even when we welcome Jesus into the homes of our hearts, we don't like when he goes and sees our cobwebs, our dusty attics, the dead mice everywhere. But that's exactly where Jesus wants to go. That's exactly what Jesus wants to flip upside down. And we don't, we don't understand why God does what he does, why God resurrected Lazarus and why God doesn't resurrect others. But we trust that God's will is not done. And we see here that God is demonstrating his power. He's demonstrating his resurrection power in something as so fickle as the body to explain how he has resurrected our souls eternally. Because even though he resurrects Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus is gonna die again eventually. The body has a time limit. But Jesus, when he died on the cross for our sins, he broke eternally the damnation and decomposition of souls and allowed us to be reconciled to God. That's Jesus. He presents his resurrection power through Lazarus before he himself does the amazing feat of resurrection for all of us through his own death. Very untimely, very brutal death. And I believe that it is a call to faith. I believe that the question when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes in me, who is already living shall never die, but have eternal life. Do you believe this? I believe that, do you believe this is for us? How do we apply this? Do you believe that Jesus' resurrection is not just for you on the last day? It's not just for you when you die. It's not just a nice little jingle to get you through life on this stupid, stupid world until you get to heaven. But do you believe that Jesus' resurrection is for you right now, in this moment? That he is seeking to resurrect you from your pains. He is seeking to make your heart new from brokenness. Everything in yourself that feels unfixable, that feels immovable, the parts of your life that you do not let your faith touch, that you don't even dare let yourself believe that Jesus can change, that Jesus can enter into, that that is the exact place where he wants to make all things new, will you let the resurrection of Jesus actually mean something to you today? That even if it's smelly, and even if it's odorous, and even if it's rotting, and even if we believe it's beyond salvageable, like that's just gone too far. Like when you put ketchup in but why did I use this example? I'm hungry. Ketchup and vanilla milkshakes. And he's like, nah, too far. No, Jesus can make all things new. There's nothing that is too far from the reach and the touch of God. And even the things that we believe, the very things that we believe in us that is too rotting, that is too dirty, that is too nasty, our grief and our pain, that is just too painful to let God enter into those spaces, that is what God will use for glory. If you believe, he is capable beyond healing, he is a resurrection God. And he doesn't just show that in Lazarus, that he's capable of defeating death, he shows it in himself once and for all. That is our God. That is the God that we believe in. That is the God of Lent. That is why we are in this time. How grateful is it that we experience something like COVID-19 during a crisis and, and experience this crisis during the time of Lent? Do you believe that Jesus is not a God of healing but he is a God of resurrection. Beyond healing, beyond restoration, beyond resurrection, Jesus brings the dead to life. He can do it physically in the body, but he isn't in the business of being our genie and our vending machine. 
He isn't in the business of making our physical life better. He is in the business of resurrecting in you all that which is rotting so that you may be with him forever. Jesus, he doesn't squander all his, he's not a, he's not a, he's not a paycheck to paycheck, spend all I have right now kind of guy. He's not a YOLO kind of guy. Jesus invests into eternity. He was, he was looking towards the big guy, the big guns. And he wasn't just looking to save us from physical death, but from eternal damnation. We're gonna take some time to pray. Right, wherever you guys are right now, Anastasis God. It says in a commentary it said that when Jesus said that Lazarus would rise again, Martha just took it as Jesus trying to comfort her. Jesus is explaining to her the miracle of resurrection that he was going to do. But Martha took that as comfort. Oh, Jesus is just trying to comfort me. Do you dumb down and put a limit on God's power in your life? listening we hope you were blessed by this week's message for more information check out our website at nbkumc.com